Our focal passage this morning is going to be from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. So you might want to open your Bibles to that passage this morning. The great international Christian, John R. W. Stott, and he's a great Christian because he gets two initials, and he does deserve both of them. And John R. W. Stott, oh, a year ago, roughly, was interviewed. And he was asked to give his take on the great concerns of our culture and how the Christian message might intersect them. And he gave a very thoughtful uh, reply. He said uh, from his observations that our culture has three deep yearnings. First of all, there is the quest for community. Am I alone on this planet? And is it possible that I could connect meaningfully with my neighbor? The second quest is the quest for significance. Does my life matter? And how does my story connect with the great story? I think we'll hear a little about that next week. And thirdly, the quest for transcendence. Is there somebody bigger than I who stands above the present problems, perplexities, and pain of my life? Somebody bigger than I who who purposefully and powerfully is working in the world and will absolutely have the last say on everything. Is there somebody bigger than I who wills and works To bring me into a meaningful existence in this life and beyond the day of my death. Now that third quest, the quest for transcendence, causes me today to want to talk about the subject of worship. Because you see, worship is all about transcendence, or it is not worship. When we worship, do we connect with the the grandeur and the grace of our great God? You know, that friend, that associate, whom you're always bugging to come to, to Meadowbrook? What if he were actually... To show up and to observe us in worship. Would he respond like Jacob and and say perhaps, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Or or like the non-believer in 1 Corinthians 14 who who would come in and and observe us at worship and, and say, wow, this must be a great and awesome God. And perhaps even fall down and worship Him. Or... Could we stand before the transcendent God whom we profess to worship and hear Him say, These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let's talk about worship. What is authentic worship? What that might look like. Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus is in a conversation with a a woman at a place called Jacob's Well. Now, 
Jacob's well in the ancient world was sort of the pre-Starbucks, pre-Barnes and Noble third place that Paul, that uh, Scott was talking about here recently. You know, the place beyond work and, and beyond where we live that we gather together and hang out to connect relationally. Well, that was Jacob's well. And so Jesus and this woman, not having to pay four bucks for a, for a latte, are, are enjoying a cool sip of water. And he engages her in a life-challenging conversation. And, and he's getting a little too close to her, so she tries to start a worship over argument. And there are a lot of uh, are, are an argument over worship, and there are a lot of those going on these days. And uh, Jesus' response to her really strikes at the core of authentic worship. It's found in John chapter 4. You've got it in front of you there in your Bibles. Uh, John 4. Jesus says in verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So authentic worship, worship that, that quenches the thirst for transcendence and, and brings the pleasure of God in response is worship that is in spirit and that is in truth. Let's talk for a moment, first of all, about the truth of worship. Now, this simply means that uh, worship, if it's authentic, is centered in the truth of the biblical revelation, the teachings of Holy Scripture. The Bible uh, says of itself in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed. That is, God is its source. And it is, it is profitable for instruction and training that the person of God may be effectively equipped for life. Worship is centered in Scripture. Now, that means that, you know, worship, er, the teaching of Scripture is not something we do after the worship, but is central to worship. We don't just have the worship and then the teaching, but the Word of God literally evokes the worship of God. It is about the truth of Scripture. If that's not so... How do we know what to worship? And, and worship can become for us separated from truth, just, just empty emotion. Or it can become meaningless routine. So authentic worship is always saturated in the truth of Scripture. So here's the progression. Pastors and teachers expound the word in worship. And moms and dad, dads talk about the Word in their homes. And every Christ follower reads and reflects upon the Word that he may apply it in the traffic patterns of his daily lives. So worship is rooted in the truth of Holy Scripture. So for a moment, let's join in together and let's worship God through the truth of sacred Scripture. We're going to open up with the help of Corinne and the excellent PowerPoint she has provided. And we are going to worship together by reading aloud from some of the Psalms. Part of what God has given to us in, in the truth that He's provided for us in the Word 
are, are 150 psalms, and there are all kinds of them. You know, there are, there are praise psalms, there are confession psalms, there are instruction psalms, there are even psalms of lament and complaint. Some of us are very familiar with those. But this morning we're going to worship for a moment through the truth of what are called the refuge psalms. So you're going to have the psalm citation before you, and I will announce that, and then we will read and worship through truth together. Let's begin with the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now let's look at Psalm 32, which is a prayer of the forgiven David and the response of the forgiving God. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And God says, I will instruct you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Be my refuge and be my rock to which I can always go. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart forever. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. And then this is the psalm that was read all over our nation on that disastrous day of 9-11. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains tumble into the sea. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The following psalms that we're going to end with are psalms that were very precious to Marilyn and me in one of the darkest years of our lives. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Blessed are they whose strength is in you. Psalm 108. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. And let your glory be over the earth. And finally, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Authentic worship. Worship that captures the transcendence of God and brings His smile is saturated in the truth of revealed Scripture. Now lastly, let's talk about the spirit of worship for a moment this morning because Jesus said those who worship the Father authentically worship Him in 
spirit and in truth. Now, this issue of the spirit of worship is a matter of the heart. And this also is a work of God's initiative. And so what I mean by that is that worship in spirit is worship in the spirit who is constantly working to transform our hearts. And it is all about transparency and about sincerity. Authentic worship is worship in spirit. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching on on prayer. And he starts out by saying, you know, don't be like the pagans who think that God is going to hear them by vain repetitions or literally the word there is babbling. Now I got a question for you. Do we ever babble in worship? Oh, well, you mean those people who speak in unknown tongues, you know, they're babbling in worship. Some people believe that those who are singing contemporary praise courses, and contemporary is such a moving target, by the way. I'd like to see you nail that one down. <laughs> you know, I talked to my, my, my oldest son and my son-in-law who both lead worship in the South Sound area and in contemporary churches, and they have a totally different definition, even among themselves, of what contemporary is. But uh, many critique contemporary uh, praise courses and say that they are babbling because they often repeat words over and over. And, of course, the contemporary praise singers retort back to the hymn singers and say, well, you sing songs that use archaic words that you don't even understand the meaning of. Now, let me give a little honest confession here. You know, growing up in a, in a hymn-singing uh, culture, I've known folks, family members and friends of mine, who have been singing hymns for years with their minds on autopilot, absolutely out of touch with what they are singing, and they are babbling in worship. Now, I'm going to get real personal here. Back in my assorted past, I used to lead hymns in worship. And uh, many a time, I know this has never happened to Jerry Chambers or any of the rest of you. Scott, if you've ever led hymns in worship, which I know you have. You know, we're singing along, and we've been through a few verses, and we just got through with the hymn course, and suddenly I'm frantically thinking, did we just sing verse 2 or verse 3? I was babbling, because my mind had slipped into autopilot. And this accusation of singing words we don't even understand, well, I confess there's some guilt there. One of my favorite hymns is, Come Thou, Fount of Every Blessing. I love that hymn, and for years... I and friends of mine have come down to that verse that says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Not having a clue. What in the world are we singing about? What is it that we are raising in public? And should our Ebenezers even be raised in public? Shouldn't they be raised in private, Scott? That's a theological issue. I need some help on but now the truth of the matter is, Ebenezer is a combination of some great Hebrew words that you just worshipped about this morning. They talk about the times that God has been our help and our fortress. He indeed has been our refuge. But did we understand that and consciously acknowledge that in the midst of moving our lips in worship? Now, now that I've tromped all over my sordid past and hymn singing, you pick your favorite style of worship music. 
You do understand that God listens to Bach. He listens to Watts. He listens to rock. He may even listen to hip-hop and perhaps even Southern Gospel. I'm not sure. But God can, can listen to a lot of different styles of heart worship through music. The issue is, if we worship through whatever style and we move our mouths and we've not engaged our minds out of sincere and worshipful hearts, we are guilty of babbling in worship. So what is the proper uh, mood for worship? What's your favorite mood? You know, Psalm 105.3 says to sing unto the Lord and to glory in His holy name. Now, what is the name of God? The name of God is the character of God. And the character of God is that He is holy. Now, what does it mean that God is holy? It not only means that God is pure, but it means that God is exalted in character. He is high and lifted up in terms of the majesty of, of His being. He is separate and unique and distinct. He is absolutely in a class by Himself. God is holy. In other words, He is the transcendent One that our culture yearns to know. And when we acknowledge that God is holy, could you help but fear Him in the sense of, be, of being in wonder and awe of Him? Now, in that Sermon on the Mount, I mentioned a moment ago when Jesus is teaching on prayer, he, he, he develops God's character further. He says, here's how you ought to pray. You ought to pray, Our Father, the One who is in the heavens, holy is Your name. Now, he acknowledges that God is holy, that He is high and lifted up. He is unique in His character. But He says, this is the one who is in the heavens. You understand what the heavens are in the Scriptures? The heavens include the space all around you, as well as the space beyond you, that is filled with the glory and the presence of God. And Jesus says, I want you to pray our Father. Because you see, the Most High God is the Most Nigh God who has stepped among us and, and showered His mercy and His grace upon us. And sometimes we want to shout for joy. And sometimes we are on our knees, at least in our hearts, in wonder and awe. So as you consider the majesty and the mercy of our great God... In His majesty, in our hearts at least, we fall down. And in His mercy, we rise up and we dance. At least in our hearts. Psalm 95. Corinne has it on the screen before you, or we'll have it in just a moment. Psalm 95 is a great call to worship. And it, it starts out by saying, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and with song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth and the mountains belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it. And his hands formed the dry land. 
come. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, our Father. And we are the sheep of His pasture, the flock under His care. Now the psalmist begins by saying, Shout unto the Lord, sing loudly praises to Him. Why? Because He is our Creator. He is a great God over all the earth. He sustains it all. It all belongs to Him. And then the mood changes and he says, Now, bow down in wonder and awe. Why? Because He calls us the sheep of His pasture, the flock under His care. Spirit of worship includes rejoicing and praise. It includes wonder and awe. So this morning, let's do a little spiritual checkup. How is your joy factor in worship these days? You know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And we are we instructed in, in Philippians 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, rejoice. Some of us live in bondage, it appears though we have been made free through the blood of Jesus Christ. How is your joy factor? And this morning, how is the wonder and awe factor in your life? Some of us have, have been guilty of the routinization of the holy. We have squeezed all of the mystery out of God. And now we've got a little manageable, explainable God, kind of a glorified candy man who is not worthy of our worship and is not the God who is revealed in Scripture. How is your fear factor in terms of wonder and awe this morning? You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting experience that occurs, an act of worship that includes both at a party that was held in the home of one Simon the leper one week before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus is in town. None of them understand really why he's there. But it's an occasion to throw a party. So Simon the leper, how would he like to have that as your name? No, be known in the neighborhood as Simon the leper. Throws this party and Jesus is the honored guest. Now, we know that Simon is a guy who must have gotten his life back. Because leprosy was the AIDS of the first century world. Can some of you remember 20, 25 years ago when AIDS first hit, hit the scene in terms of... of, of epidemic proportions and people were dying right and left and and largely they were dying alone because of of the stigmatization and the fear surrounding that dread disease and that was leprosy in the first century world it was there was a social stigma and a great deal of fear about it and and one who was diagnosed with leprosy such as this Simon would have been forced out of his home separated from his family and driven into the wilderness with no hope of ever enjoying the fellowship of family and friends again. So the fact that Simon the leper is back in his home and he is able to throw a party and his friends and family and Jesus be around us tells us that he had gotten his life back. Per, evidently, he had been healed and reoriented in society. So you know there's a great deal of joy happening in Simon's home because Jesus is there. And John gives us the guest list in John chapter 12, also Mark 14, I think. And uh, we understand that Lazarus is there. And Jesus is the honored guest. That's no surprise. What do we know about Lazarus? 
Here's a guy who big time got his life back. Literally. Lazarus was dead and Jesus called him forth from the tombs and he was alive again. Serious joy and celebration and thanksgiving is happening in that home. And then Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, are there also. And suddenly Mary, the quietest person in the room usually, gets up and performs a most audacious act. Right there in front of God, literally and everyone, Mary unbinds her hair. No respectable Jewish woman unbound her hair in public. Weeping, she approaches Jesus. She gets on her hands and knees. She breaks open an expensive vial or perfume. Pours it over his feet and begins washing his feet. No respectful person washed feet. Not even the normal servants did. The lowest slave on the totem pole had to wash feet. And her tears flow over Jesus. And she dries his feet with her hair. Now in this audacious act which Jesus commends and says would be remembered for all of history. Mary is teaching us how to worship. She's also indicating she learned to worship, really worship, not from her uh, respectable church-going friends, but from a very unrespectable person. You remember who she was? Her story is told in Luke chapter 7. And we're told in Luke 7 that there is another Sunday school party that's being held, and Jesus is the guest honor. But the Pharisee Sunday school class is... uh, Pretty perfunctory in their, their worship, we might say, or their honoring of Jesus. And then a woman comes crashing through the door, and she does not belong there. She is a sinful woman, and we all know what that meant in that culture. And she has the audacity to forget her place and to come into that place and ignore the hot, hostile stares and the open mouth. Uh, Amazement of, the, of all the guests in the house, she heads straight for Jesus. And what does she do? She unbinds her hair. She breaks open a vial of expensive perfume. She pours it over Jesus. She washes his feet and dries it with her hair. And Jesus looks at that woman, a prostitute who apparently had been captured by grace. And then he looks at the disapproving Sunday school class and he says, You know, you honored me with your lips, but your worship is no worship. This is authentic worship. The extravagance of brokenness. Worship from a a thankful and a contrite heart. What is your humility factor today in worship? We learn as we move through the scriptures to understand the truth and the spirit of worship that ultimately worship is about offering God our very best. Ultimately, it is about offering God our very life. So here's a question for you as we move toward conclusion this morning.
Does your worship of the Father spill over into your life? Here is authentic worship. Romans 12.1 I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Have you been captured and captivated by grace? Have you been mesmerized by His mercy? Then offer your bodies, your very literal flesh and blood bodies, as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So has your worship hit the streets this week? As the, as the, the opening video demonstrated, is this the first time you've worshipped since last Sunday worship? Or has your worship invaded the marketplace, the, the, the relational traffic patterns of your life? And consequently, is the God you worship the God your friend is seeking for? We're going to worship now, this morning, through giving. This is a time when God's people joyfully and gratefully acknowledge that, that everything belongs to God. And then He just generously allows us to manage a portion of it in this life. And we have the joy of using it all 100% to His glory. And a, a certain amount, the tithes and the offerings, we get to bring back to the storehouse, the body of Christ. And some of us will worship that way today. Some of us need to consider whether during the offering time we want to offer our bodies the living sacrifice to God. Perhaps this morning... The Scriptures have introduced you to the God you've been looking for, and you understand that, that the written Word of truth points to the living Word of truth, who is Jesus, and that what you really need to do this morning is, is to confess your need for Christ. To tell Him very honestly and transparently, God, I am a sinner. I tend to usurp your place in my life. I am indicted to self-centeredness and I want to thank you for dying for me and offering me forgiveness of my sins. And this morning, I want to offer my life up to you. You know, you have a wonderful opportunity after worship to talk to one of us about this, this commitment. You can use the tear off and you can say, I would like more information about following Christ. And you know you'll get a response. You get permission. But think about what you want to offer to God in worship this morning. How's your joy factor? Have you squeezed the mystery out of your faith? Get back in touch with a transcendent God of the Scriptures. Use this time wisely and well. I want to pray for us and then we will worship through giving the offering, including the offering of our lives. Now, Father, we are in awe of You. We don't even begin to understand how holy you are, but we've had a nut of a glimpse of your greatness and your grandeur. That in our hearts, we are humbled before you. And Lord, we never want the mystery and the awe to be gone from our lives when it comes to you. And Lord, we understand that on our worst days, because we know you, we have much to be thankful for and to rejoice in. Teach us to connect with that 
when we tend to get bogged down in our cares. Lord, we are so grateful that you rise above the present problems, perplexities, and pain. We, we are so thankful that you have the last word. And it will be a good word. Now, Father, this morning, as we are confronted with the opportunity to give to you, teach us to offer our lives up as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name.